0: Hey, my name is Pastor Ross. So glad that you are here this morning and so glad that you don't have to listen to me today. If you're our guest this morning, uh, we have a special guest uh, for you. (laughs) Hey, we can be honest here, okay? I'm tired of you too. It is good to have a break every once in a while, and it's really good. uh, In all seriousness, we do this occasionally throughout the year. It's so good. uh, It's so rewarding for me to be able to share friends with you, uh, friends that have mentored me. Many of you remember Pastor Bruce that has been here numerous times, and and this morning to be able to share a friend with you locally that I have just grown uh, to love. So it's my pleasure to introduce uh, Pastor Michael as well as his wife, Sevi and many of his friends. And uh, one of the great blessings of being a minister in Frisco, uh, you should know this, um, is just there's an incredible ministers' alliance that we have here in Frisco. We meet monthly for lunch. It's usually at a barbecue place. Uh, Tomorrow, it's at Rudy's. Um, But we have a great spirit uh, in this ministers' alliance, and it's something that's really been fuel for me in ministry and encouraging and uh, it's really a great group of people, and it's a very diverse, it's a, it's a group of evangelicals, but it's very diverse, and we come from different backgrounds and, and different theological de- denominations, and we don't have everything in common. But there's a great spirit of unity around uh, the Scriptures and around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it, it's a really wonderful thing to have in our community. And these are, these are men from First Baptist Church, Frisco Bible Church, Hope Fellowship, uh, Calvary Chapel, King of Kings uh, Bible Church. Church, Mercy Church, did I say that one? Um, And so, a lot of great men, and I met Pastor Michael at one of these alliances about, I I guess it was about uh, eight years ago, and uh, really, you know how when you meet someone, uh, some particular people, you just find yourselves that you have an affinity for them, and and your heart just goes out to them, and I I had I just felt instantly that affinity for Pastor Mike and uh, just really appreciated his spirit and his persona and his theological insights as well as as some of his cultural analysis as we talked as ministers and and he has just become a friend and a, a dear friend and we've shared coffee uh, many times together and he and Sevi have been in our home and. Uh, So I've I've just really grown to love him and so excited uh, to share him with you this morning. As I said, Pastor Michael is the senior pastor of King of Kings Bible Church And uh, he has also started a ministry. He has another wonderful thing about the heart of Pastor Michael. He has a a heart for Zambia, and so he travels often to Zambia where he's uh, started a ministry called Pastor's Hope. One of his big passions is to train pastors without training, and and so he goes to Zambia often, as does Sevi and and other ministers. And so uh, it's just a privilege uh, to have him bring the Word. He is a lover of people and a lover of the Scriptures, and uh, so glad to share you with our church family today Michael come on up give him a round of applause
1: <laughs> Love you, brother. Thank you. Thank you, brother. good morning my brothers and sisters morning, it is so great to break the bread of life with you today and um, I am especially humbled to stand before you for many reasons, many, many reasons. Uh, One of which being that I know your pastor, Pastor Ross, to be one of the most discerning, cautious Bible teachers that I've met. And I know that he wouldn't ask just anyone to come and stand before you. So I'm humbled to be asked to share the gospel with you this morning. I must admit though, I am somewhat intimidated because I know that in this room are many Bible scholars. I know some of you personally. I call you Bible scholars because I believe that you can't sit under Pastor Beebe's teachings without becoming a Bible scholar, the way he exegetes the text is absolutely amazing. And you know, there are times when many of us in Christendom will go to one another's website for encouragement. I've been to yours and I've been encouraged by what I've heard. So I am uh, humbled and uh, to some extent intimidated. I know that John Backelman will fact check me and, So I look forward to that next coffee clutch. <clears throat> Having said that on behalf of pastor Sevi, my wife, the elders of King of Kings Bible church, we extend our gratitude to you. We have mingled our prayers and our worship and our prayer with yours and together they've gone up as a sweet aroma to the throne room of grace. And how awesome is that? There's really only one church. There's really only one body of Christ. And though we are here today in our earthly flesh, we shall be together forever as one family. And so I think it's about time that the church at large begins to act and to walk in the spirit of that which we are commanded to walk. And that is in unity and in togetherness. And so we are humbled to be here with you. Amen? Amen. So with that, let us pray. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we bless you. We worship you. We praise you. We are grateful to be found in your presence. We're grateful to be found together as one body in Christ as one fellowship today. Father, we ask that you would be exalted in the midst of this great gathering. We ask, Father, that you would lead us by your spirit as we reason the scriptures. And so, Father, as we pray for one another, lifting up one another's families, one another's circumstances, one another's challenges, Father, we ask that you would do that which only you can do, Touch us, love us, heal us, be with us, lead us, hold us. We are your children. You are our father. We are your property and you are our master. Therefore, father, we commit all of our ways to you. We surrender completely to your Lordship. We ask father that you would be exalted you and only you in our hearts and in our minds. And so, Father, as we've opened our hearts, the soil of our hearts to you, we invite you now to plant the seeds of truth within us and show us how to cultivate that which you give us into crops of righteousness, crops of love, crops of Outreach. Lead us in our respective ministries. Lead us in the articulation of our faith. And it is in Jesus' name that we ask, pray, and give thanks. And all the saints of God said, Amen. 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 I'm going to keep my eye on the clock and I'm going to seek to avoid the tradition. That I come from, and uh, <sighs> not keep you here longer than an hour and a half. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Please open your Bibles with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, we'll be examining together verses 25 through 37. 25 through 37, Luke chapter. the title of this morning's message is... Will I need to switch? Great. I think this will probably be okay. Great. Okay. On the Lord. Okay. Thank you, brother. The title of this morning's message is the truth of God's word must first be lived before it can be truly understood. The truth of God's word must be lived before it can be fully understood. Now, Luke chapter 10 is our foundation passage. And as such, the main points of this morning's message are embedded, if you will, in this Lukean text. But there's a certain amount of work that we need to do first before we examine the text together. We have to formulate our approach to the scriptures because it's very important when you break it when you break the, the the word of life you open up God's word that you first understand the context in which the scripture was written that is you understand the backdrop against which the message and the story unfolds and so we're going to do that but before we do that i want to share with you how this message Came about. Now, I'm certain that you know that as pastors, we are inspired each and every day with messages and insights that the Holy Spirit gives us that He purposes that we share with you as we strengthen you in His Word. And so I want you to know that the message today was inspired by a morning devotion that I was reading several days ago, a couple of weeks ago, and that devotion was penned by the late, great preacher, pastor, theologian, A.W. Tozer. I love Tozer. I love his insights. And I love the conservative approach that he takes to God's Word. Most every day I treat myself to a devotion either written by him or by Oswald Chambers. And so I would encourage you that if you've not spent any time reading Oswald Chambers or A.W. Tozier, I would encourage you to take some time and acquire some of their writings. You will be richly blessed, as I have. There are times when Pastor Ross and I will text one another and we'll say, did you read Oswald Chambers today? He was off the chain, wasn't he? And so I would encourage you uh, to do that. Now... In that particular devotion a week ago, Tozer reflected on what it means to live the truth. What it means to live the truth. And during that devotion, Tozer made three important points as he contemplated the meaning of living the truth. And those points are noteworthy for us as the body of Christ. And it's important, I believe, as led by the Spirit of God, that we understand those three points as we set up our approach to our foundation text. Point number one, Tozer posits that the truth of God's word to be understood must be lived. Hence the title of the morning message, which dimensionalizes the impact of that particular devotion on me that morning. You see, Tozer believed that Bible doctrine is holy ineffective, wholly useless, and of no value to anyone unless it has been digested and assimilated into our life. And so what Tozer is saying is that until we assimilate and digest God's word into our daily, act, into our daily actions, that word is simply head knowledge. And there's a lot of head knowledge in the body of Christ. And there's not as much assimilation and digestion of God's word into the actions. Now, I'm not making any disparaging remarks. I'm just speaking the truth. And this is why your pastor and many pastors of this day exergete the scriptures rather than running off and giving a word of knowledge On anything and everything that doesn't relate to God's Word and the second point that Tozer makes is that living the truth of God's Word was not only an important element in the Old Testament teaching of the prophets but it was also the central theme of the moral teachings of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ You see, our Lord and Savior intended that everything he taught would be assimilated into the actions of our daily lives and not to be taken simply as head knowledge, which is why you will see a recurring theme in the Old Testament that says we are to be what? Doers of the word rather than simply hearers of the word. The truth of God's word must be lived out first before we can truly understand it. And then the final point that Tozer makes is that while living the truth of God's word is not a tenet in the creed of the church, and while this notion is not a tenet in any school or religious thought, it nevertheless stands as a great divide between those in the body of Christ who rightly regard the gospel and those in the body of Christ who carelessly think about the word of God. And that response is that, am I going to live out the word that I've just heard or that I've just read? See, that's the great divide. What am I going to do with the information I've just received am I going to live it or am I going to reject it and so each time that we all encounter the word of God we have to make a decision is this for me or is this something that I simply ignore and so it was at that moment that I sensed the Holy Spirit saying that I am to formulate a message around this important divine insight. And that is why I'm sharing this message with you today. Now, as Bible scholars, our foundation text, as you know, uh, is, 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 is about the story of the Good Samaritan. And it's important now that we examine the text and that we expound on the subject matter because that helps us to understand what God's saying to us this morning. But before we do that, we're gonna take the last step before we go to the scriptures and exegete verse by verse. And that step is to establish the context, as I mentioned to you earlier. The context is the backdrop, if you will, against which the story of the Good Samaritan unfolds. And as we establish this context, it's important that we understand this very important concept, social location, social location. We know the characters in the story. We know that they are a Jewish priest, a Levite, a Samaritan, and a traveler who is almost mortally wounded. But it's very important to understand the social location of the priest and the Levite and the Good Samaritan, before we can really appreciate what's happened. So we're gonna talk a little bit about their social location. But first, I want you to understand what I mean by social location. We all in this room have a social location. That social location determines and delineates how we act, how we perceive, and how we observe, everything that happens around us. For example, we are all Texans. And so as a result of that, we have a certain point of view about life that is not necessarily shared by our fellow Americans in New York. That comment got someone in trouble. (laughs) And in California. And in other states. Not making any disparaging remarks, but we see things a little differently than other people in the country. That's a part of our social location. And so there are things that will happen that we're just not going to be in agreement about in terms of what should be done. On the other hand, we're all Americans. And so as such, culturally we are vastly different from other cultures in the world. And because of the things that we've been blessed with, we have a certain point of view about how life should be lived, how life should be shared, how life should be preserved. And then on the other hand, some of us in this room are white Americans. Other of us are Americans of color. And so as such, we have different perspectives about certain things. And it's important for us to understand that because as we see the events unfold in our communities and in our country and in the world, we must understand that a lot of people are going to react a different way, right, than perhaps we would or you would or non-Americans would, or non-Texans would. And so we must seek to understand how we can work together to affect a solution to whatever it is we're dealing with. So that brings us to the juxtaposition between the Jewish Israelite, the priest, and the Levite, the other traveler, And then the Samaritan, they had different points of view, but their different points of view relative to God's word had everything to do with how they intended to live out God's word in their daily lives. And it was also an indication of whether or not they really understood what our Lord and Savior said and what the patriarchs and the prophets said in God's word, which they've studied. So we're going to deal with that uh, in just a moment. So, to begin with now, relative to the context, the Good Samaritan, the story of the Good Samaritan takes place against a backdrop of racial tension and against ethnic prejudice. There was a distinct environment around an environment of racial discord between the Jews and the Samaritans. Here's why. The Jewish Israelites received the law from Yahweh, God the Father, by way of the patriarch Moses. So their social location was crafted and influenced in a major way by what Moses taught them in terms of what God had given them. But ultimately, it was up to them to assimilate and to um, take in their reaction to what God had commanded of them. On the other hand, the Samaritan was the Samaritan Israelites were ancestors of a people from the tribe, the half tribe of Manasseh, and from the tribe of Ephraim that lived in that region called Samaria, and when the Assyrian kingdom defeated them and carried away the vast majority of their ancestors, the king of Assyria, in turn, shipped in various pagan tribes and cultures to fill in that vacant space, and then those Samaritan Israelites that were left behind adopted the pagan cultures and intermarried with these pagans. And so right away, the Jewish Israelites see the Samaritan Israelites as being less than a people, right? You should also know that all of the criminals of the outside of the Samaritan area resettled in Samaria. All of those who had been excommunicated from Judaism settled In Samaria. And so as a result, there was this discord. And this is very important because this is going to set up why things happen the way they did and what the Lord is saying to us in terms of living out his word. Are you with me so far? All right. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, taught the Samaritans himself. Remember the woman at the well? It began with her. And then eventually, all of her people were taught because our Savior decided to hang around a few more days and teach them from his hand. So they had learned the word of God directly from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And his oral tradition had been preserved in them. And as such, they began to write the ship. But as far as the Jewish Israelites were concerned... They were still the same wretched people. So you see, the point of view here that God wants to make, the point that God wants to make relative to this point, is that we shouldn't be so critical about other people, right, in terms of how they've received the word of God. Because everyone assimilates the word of God differently. And everyone has been given an opportunity to repent and evolve, and to grow in the Lord. But a lot of times, we are somewhat critical. And we're critical because we come from a different social location. So we must understand that as we approach this text, all right? So let's go to the Lukean passage here now. Um, Luke chapter 10, verse 25. I'm going to read um, verses 25 through 37. I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and I'd like you to follow along with me. Verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he, the lawyer, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly, do this. And you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And here it comes. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, Do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And the lawyer said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do otherwise. This is the word of God. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of this word. So let's now open our hearts and let's allow the Holy Spirit to facilitate our understanding relative to the subject matter of today's message, which is the truth of God's word must first be lived before it can be fully understood. Looking at beginning at verse 25, and behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Stop right there. Stop the car. A lawyer stood up to put him to the test now this just isn't fair because it's a setup we can see that it's a setup the lawyer's intending to set our savior up but god is always infinitely further ahead than sinful men so we know which way the setup is going to go and so god does have a sense of humor So when you see the setup in the Bible, you know that there's about to be, right, a defining moment here, a teaching moment. So first of all, now to uh, understand and appreciate what our Lord and Savior is about to do and what is about to happen, we have to go back and look at the verses preceding verse 25 in chapter 10, right? And so... I'll just briefly tell you what happened. Our Lord and Savior has sent out 72 disciples to minister to and to evangelize the surrounding area. And they came back extremely excited because they have met with wild success. And they came back and said, even the very demons, Lord, are subject to us. Right? And so our Lord and Savior commends them, but he goes on to say, don't be so excited about that. Be even more excited that your names are written in heaven. So now you can imagine that lawyer, the Bible scholars are silent, the Bible silent about who he is, but we know from our studies that there were two groups of temple leaders in that culture, right? There were the Pharisees. And there were the Sadducees. The Pharisees were more um, um, uh, religiously inclined. The, Sarah, the, the Sadducees were more politically inclined. So chances are this, this lawyer may have been a Sadducee. I'm just deducing that. That's not in the text. And the Bible is silent about who he is. But what is obvious is that at some point that lawyer overheard that conversation, that proclamation that our Savior made. And if he didn't overhear it, obviously he was privy to what was said, because you can tell when he stands up to test Jesus, he was offended, and he wanted to justify himself <clears throat> and demonstrate that he also was entitled to internal life, in addition to the disciples who were unlearned and unschooled, right? So. In response to what had happened, Jesus says in the preceding verses, verse 19: Behold, I've given you, I, I have given you authority. He's talking to the 72. I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And in that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise. And understanding and revealed them to little children. Right. Father, for such was your gracious will. So the implication here is that the lawyer was among the wise. And the 72 disciples, right, were among the little children. So what's happening here? Here's what's happening. What's happening is that there's a little bit of a instance of friction between the lawyer and our Savior. Obviously, he didn't know that he was talking to God, God incarnate in the flesh. We'll grant that. We have the benefit of knowing that from where we are in this perspective that we are. So what's happening here is that he is demonstrating that he can recite from memory what the word of God has said. You know, when he responds, right, that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind. He is actually quoting Deuteronomy uh, 6 and 5. And Leviticus 19, 9 through 8. So he is quoting from memory the third and the text from the third and the fifth book of Moses from the Torah, also known as the Pentateuch. And so when Jesus asks him this question, obviously he's attempting to set up our Savior. He answers back with Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And at this point, his head's this big and his chest is out this far. Right. And then our Savior says, "Okay, you've done well. Live that. Go and live that. Knowing full well that he couldn't. And knowing full well that he was about to deliver a discourse relative to the story of the Good Samaritan, which demonstrates what happens to those who simply take in God's word but refuse to live it. And therein is the message for us. You see, as believers... It's important for us to note that in this parable of the Good Samaritan that oftentimes our source for assistance when we are in serious trouble, when we are in travail, will often come from sources that under normal circumstances, if we weren't in dire straits, we would reject those sources. But when we cry out to God, we receive whatever he sends us. And this is what happened to the wounded traveler. Because had he not been wounded, chances are he might not have even spoken to the Samaritan as they passed one another on the road. And so it's important for us as the body of Christ to realize that oftentimes our Lord will send help in times of need, right, that is designed to facilitate our understanding of who he is and what his expectations are of us. It doesn't mean that we've done anything wrong, it just means that it's a teaching moment. And so we should look forward to the time when we, in our despair, receive a word from the Lord or assistance that he sends us because therein is an opportunity for learning. So we are reminded by the Bible scholars also that one of the greatest tragedies of prejudice is that it often separates us from the very assistance that is available to us. And so our Lord and Savior dimensionalizes that in the text for the lawyer and for us this day. Now, the compassion of the Samaritan was all the more commendable because it demonstrated that he got it. It demonstrated that preserved in his oral tradition, he had learned that the truth of God's word was to be lived out in his life. And so what truth is he referring to? He's referring to the truth of love, the truth of love. And see, and that's how this whole foundation text starts out. Jesus wants to teach the lawyer and subsequently the church of all times that we must live the truth, the truth being love. We must walk in love and live in love lest we fail to understand who God is. And so that's our challenge today. Are we prepared to walk in love? Or are we simply going to hear this message, go in this ear and out the other? But you might say, so what does walking in love looks like? Well, that's for all of us to understand. That's the beauty of love. When you love someone, you want to demonstrate your love. And so in order to demonstrate your love, you've got to think about how you're going to demonstrate it, how you want it to be received, and how you suspect they will respond based on how you are demonstrating your love. So immediately you begin to think about the object of your love and what it is they appreciate and they value. So right away, You begin thinking about the needs of others, the needs of others. So this is what Christendom and the church is all about. Discerning the needs of others. The greatest need of a dying world is that of a savior. And so when we're walking in love, we are sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are many ways to share the gospel. But sadly, many of us in Christendom do not share the gospel of Jesus Christ in the course of our regular day. So we can't appreciate the gospel as much as we could because we're not walking in the sharing of the gospel and the love of Christ and so this is the conviction that falls on us all this morning and that is the truth The ultimate truth of God's word is that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but shall have what? Amen. Amen. That's the ultimate truth. So are we walking in that? Are we sharing that? You know, the fact that there is still breath in our mortal bodies this morning demonstrates how much the Lord loves us. Because he knows where we are in that. But he's giving us another chance. When we walk out of here today, he's saying you have another chance to start all over again evangelizing the world according to Matthew 28, which, by the way, is the last thing that he told us before he ascended. Right? All of you that are parents, oftentimes we say to our kids, what did I tell you? I just told you that a moment ago. What happened? Really? <laughs> this is how perhaps we are seen as the body of Christ. What did I tell you? What did I say before I ascended? Go into the world. Right? But yet are we going? But we still carry the mantle of evangelicals, right? So Paul, in his theology and in his many writings, he writes from a perspective of what's known as the indicative and the imperative. Paul says, you are a child of God, therefore walk as a child of God, therefore act as a child of God. So you see these thematic threads that are running through the word of God? And so what we're being commanded to do by way of the story of the Good Samaritan is we're being commanded to understand that the Samaritan was demonstrating that he got it while the keepers of the law, right, the priest and the Levites were demonstrating either A, they didn't get it, or B, they had no intentions of understanding and assimilating God's word into their lives. And so here are the main points of today's message. Point number one, if you know the truth of God's word, live it. Head knowledge is not enough. On the other hand, living the truth enhances our understanding of it. We've said that. But even more so, living the truth changes us and opens us to receive greater truth. And the same is true of love. Walking in love opens us up to receive even greater love from those that we are articulating our love for. And that goes for our spouses, our families, our friends, our neighbors, and those around us that are in travail. We watch it on the TV every day, right? And our first response when we see Dallas burning or we see South Carolina burning, our first response is not always the best response. We should demonstrate our love for all of those that are in travail by praying for them. Father, I know you love them. And I know your desire is that they would be brought to a place you're assuming that they're not right, in the body of Christ, which is a bad assumption, but at least based on the actions that you're seeing, right, they're not walking in it, right? All right, believers don't burn stuff and destroy property and all of that, right? So you say, Lord, I am going to pray for this person. I am going to pray for these people, because at that point, that's the best you can do. But our first response Because of our social location, oftentimes is to feel guilty about who we are and where we are and what we've been blessed to have. We have been blessed in this great community of Frisco, in this great country of America. We have been blessed in such a way to be a blessing to others. And we can share that blessing by calling upon our understanding of the gospel and and, 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 and beseeching our heavenly father to move by his spirit on those circumstances and touch the hearts of all of those that are in travail. Mm-hmm. Point number two, God is not impressed by how much of his word we know or how we can recite from memory his word like the lawyer Instead, God is pleased when we endeavor to articulate our understanding of his word in our daily actions. Amen. They show that we get it. Amen? Amen. And so in the final seconds that I have, I'm going to close by reading uh, from Tozier's devotion from that week, which will serve as a capstone for this morning's message. Tozier writes, we must be willing to obey if we would know the truth. We must be willing to obey if we would know the true inner meaning of the teachings of Christ and the apostles. This view prevailed in every revival that ever came to the church during her long history. Indeed, a revived church may be distinguished from a dead church by the attitude of its members towards the truth. The dead church holds to the shell of truth while surrendering while without surrendering to the will of it while the church that wills to do god's will is immediately blessed with a visitation of spiritual powers theological facts are like the altar of elijah on mount carmel before the fire came that altar was correct it was properly laid but it was altogether cold when the heart when the heart makes the ultimate surrender The fire falls as it did on that altar. And true facts are transmuted into spiritual truth that transforms, enlightens, and sanctifies. The church or the individual that is Bible taught without being spirit taught, and there are many of them, has simply failed to see that truth lies deeper than the theological statement of it. And so, my closing exhortation to you, again, which is taken from Tozer, is that God does teach us his way. Are we walking in his way? Unless we do, our hearts will become divided. Our faith will be reduced simply to intellectual affirmations. And that is not a place that we want to be. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. And I'll simply pray Psalm 86, 11. Father, in the name of Jesus, teach us your way, O Lord, and we will walk in your truth. Give us an undivided heart that we may fear your name. Show us, Lord, those areas of your truth to which we have not yet surrendered. We desire to walk in your truth with an undivided heart. And all the saints of God said amen. 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 May the Lord bless you.